All right, do not raise your hand. All right, everybody got that? Because I know a minute ago we had our hands. Do not raise your hands this time. Any women in here married to, as Paxton said, the verse said, a stupid man or a foolish man. So just get that thinking. Get that thinking. Because when I read this, don't point fingers either. So don't raise a hand and don't point a finger. Because when I first read this, here's where I kind of went. I said, you know, this is, this is a good story. You got a great woman. Because not only is she hot, according to what the Bible says, she's also smart, nice, like, got, you know, all around total package woman. You got a jerk for a man. She tries to give, she tries to give advice. He doesn't listen. So he dies. And she gets to marry the future king at the end. You say, oh, good. <laughs> Danny, don't, don't eat nothing. She fixes you this week, man. <laughs> but think about their story. So the lesson there must be, must be men, listen to your wife if she's godly and wise. Or you'll die. And she'll get to marry somebody far better than you. And that was it. All kidding aside is good. I, I really enjoyed this chapter. I hope you guys can, can get the picture of, of it too with the scenes. You know, I hope you open your word because today it's not going to be, you know, some of our normal sermons where we have points and all that stuff. I, I really spent about a day or two looking at points and then I said, you know what? The heck with points. Let's just go verse by verse by verse by verse. Um, and, and I think points are good. I'm not, not saying they're, they're not good. Obviously, I do a lot of them uh, when I can. But when God doesn't give them, I say, let's just take the word for what the word says. So uh, open your word. If you don't have the word, look on somebody beside you or steer their Bible so that you can feel more holy and spiritual. Since you came to church and didn't bring your sword and all that. Or if you got a phone, it's on there. So shouldn't have any any problem here, right? Here, here's where we're at. I want to paint the scene because what we're going to do, we're going to get lessons. I said there's no points. There's a lot of lessons through various scenes and various people in these 40-something verses, okay? So the scene starts there with this. Samuel's years of being the, the, the spiritual leader has ended. His time is done. And the scripture says something really neat and funny here to me. Now, I'm not laughing because Samuel's dead, but I'm laughing at the people's response because this says in verse one, and notice now Samuel was God's channel basically to the people. Um, you know, and, and they chose to listen to him sometime, and many times they chose not to. But it says that at his death, at his funeral, everybody had gathered. So this was a big, big event. And it was so special. And I, and I can picture this. You know, if somebody prominent dies, it wasn't long ago. You know, even not he was a spiritual leader, but when Coach McKissick died, I mean, Somerville was filled with cars everywhere, um, you know, for, for that event. When, you know, just somebody well-known with good stuff, when, when they die, you know, we've had funerals in here. We had chairs outside, you know, of the building, you know, opening the doors so people could hear, um, you know, what's going on way past fire code. Um, you know, and, and all that going on. So, so picture this, but, but here's why I said it was funny. They wouldn't listen to him when he was alive, but now everybody wants to come that he's dead. And I say that because, because of what, what was said last week, I think really allows Samuel to pass on. I think God's timing is very significant. Last week, verse 20, so chapter 24, verse 20, Saul admits that David is going to be king finally. He says, and you know, I, I know, like I've been so jealous, rage has got me because I know you're going to be king. And I think it, I think it's just a, a neat little thing to get to see. Saul admits that. And finally, and the very next thing that happens is the spiritual leader who's been trying to get to that point now passes. Because I believe if we'd have done this thing God's way and they would have did this thing God's way, we wouldn't have had a Saul. We would have had a Samuel who would have been the spiritual leader. And then at the appointed time, David would have been the king that God was seeking out and searching for, a man after my own heart. And we wouldn't have had that little pause and interruption with Saul and all this, this stuff that went on. Now, we get a lot of lessons from this stuff, so it's not that God can't use that. But, you know, it's significant to point out that finally when, when Samuel, I mean, when Saul finally acknowledges the fact of, man, I'm, I'm not really supposed to be king, David. David's going to be king. Like, okay, Samuel, your job uh, of channeling this information is done. Now, another thing to point out in this, because, yes, David makes mistakes in this one. You know, he's been our hero for a while and he's done some good stuff and and he does do some good in this one as well. But I don't want us to get too harsh on David because I think the scripture points out something neat on this. It's bathed or, or, or uh, bookshelf is what I'll call it, you know, two two bookends with why I think David may have acted this way. And it opens with this. His, his spiritual mentor has died. For David, that was a guy he relied on. That was a guy he, he asked to pray for him. He, he sought advice from. I mean, he was emotionally connected, spiritually connected with Samuel. 
So, so that's the beginning. You got that book in right there of, of this guy's dot. And it ends with this odd little note that tells us why David is, is, is marrying other women. And well, really, we know other reasons why he is too. But, but there's this little note that his first wife, Saul's daughter, has been given away to somebody else. And I don't think it's a coincidence or, or, or just a random placing of those two things at the beginning of the end of the chapter. I think the chapter is telling us David is in probably one of the lowest emotional states he could be in. Because when we read this, we're like, man, last week, David, you did so good. You had Saul in the cave and, and you chose not to kill him yet. And that was a guy who was actually trying to kill you. Here you got a guy who's just a jerk and an idiot, not wanting to pay his debts to you. And you've mounted up 400 soldiers and you're getting ready to go kick Heidi uh, and take care of business, you know, about what's going on with this thing. Like, what what is the deal? And I just want to point out that even though we may win one battle and another battle and another battle, there's going to come areas in our life where we get to really low emotional states and we've got to press on to win those battles, too. And I think that's where David is. And I'm not making an excuse for him. I'm just trying to get us to relate with exactly what's going on. He's at a low point emotionally. With this, And because of that, you can say, and you can write this down in your notes if you take them, David's not really the hero of this chapter. Abigail is. So, so we've got a, a, a female hero, you know, that, that, that is about, we got Captain Marvel, for any of you that follows, you know, she's coming on the scene to take care and, and to rescue exactly what's happened. So I, I laughed with a note and said, God used a woman to invert tragedy in Israel's history yet again. Uh, because it was constantly the use of a woman. That was saving Israel's butt, and, and let's just be honest, as manly as we want to be, it's constantly a spiritual woman who's saving the church a lot of times nowadays. Uh, you know, not to change anything on what Scripture says about those roles and all that stuff, but just to point out that you better believe God is going to use a godly woman to get stuff accomplished that needs to be accomplished. Okay. So, and another thing to point out is I like I like the wording in the very beginning before we jump into this verse by verse. It says that Samuel Samuel dies, so he goes down. And then some translations, I, I didn't catch which one uh, Mitchell read, but some translations said, and David rose up and then went to, you know, the, the next location. I like that. I like that picture because I think I don't think Scripture's playing to play on words. I think it's saying, you know, Samuel's gone down and David is now rising up, showing that that maybe God's worker died, but God's work's not going to die. Because God God's work isn't based off one man or one woman. You know, God's work is based off of his work. It is greater than any single individual and just because an individual may leave the scene doesn't mean that God's work is going to stop and, and leave the scene in any way, okay? All right, so let's look at this thing. I'm going to go to verse 2. Verse 1 was kind of the intro, right? Verse 2, you get some you get some notes about this guy. One, he's rich. He's shearing sheep, so that's the win. And, and then you get his name. And I, and I want you to write this down because Scripture, a name often means something. And yes, Nabal does mean foolish. Or, or as Paxton continues to point out, I think he was so proud the Bible had the word stupid in it. Uh, <laughs> the, but yes, it, it does mean that. And we don't know for sure if this was his actual birth name. I hope a mama didn't name her child. You know, they're speaking Hebrew. OK, there's no guess uh, about this. So I hope she didn't say, you know what? The Hebrew word for fool. Let's name my child that. If so, parents, if you're expecting, please don't name your child fool. OK, that, that won't be something good. But in Scripture, a lot of times people live up to their name, whether it be a nickname, a real name or, or, or whatnot. This time, though, what I what I want to really see in the beginning is this guy, all his stuff is lifted, listed first. Did you catch that? Look, look at verse two. And, and, and a man from the city, he had, he had business that was going on. He was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and he was shearing the sheep in Carmel. We've got all this stuff listed, and then it's even going to list, you know, his wife that he's proud of and all this stuff. But yet we don't have his name listed. And, and sometimes, guys, we let stuff get ahead of who we are. And, and I think that was probably one of his greatest problems. He let his stuff get ahead of who he was. And even Scripture notes that and listen, all his stuff. And then finally, in, in the next verse, giving us a, a name. Because there's four different types of riches, probably more than that before that, that I, I listed at least, right? There's the riches of what you have. Well, that, that's where Nabal is. He's got a lot of stuff. But I would say that's probably the lowest of the riches. You know, having stuff doesn't necessarily make you successful. It doesn't actually solve your emotional thing, your spiritual thing, or anything else going on on the inside. So he's got a lot of stuff. Then there's riches in what you do. Some of us are very successful in riches in what we do. Then there's riches in what you know. Knowledge, that's my wife, Google, right? Then there's riches in what you are, and that's our character. So so think about those those four different things. Yeah, he's a rich man, but he's only rich in the lowest kind of rich. He's just got stuff. 
And you could say even in this environment that, that even his wife would be counted as one of his stuff. We know there's prearranged marriages and stuff that most likely allowed this couple to hook up. Why else would a, a smart, intelligent, beautiful woman hook up with a man named Foolish um, You know, in this thing? Her name actually means my father's delight. Um, but and a daughter and a, uh, a daughter like that, a daddy would obviously be delighted and proud of who she is. So, so we've got to go. On. Then we've got the season that we're in. I think that's important. It says that he was sharing sharing sheep, meaning that this this is harvest time for for a guy who's got sheep. Now, if it's harvest time for 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 plants and vegetables and that kind of stuff, what do we do? We have a party, amen, brother. Why would we not have a party? Sometimes I think y'all, y'all are like scared of that word. I'm telling you right now, the Hebrews could party better than anybody else. Okay? And that's what they did. When, when that stuff came out, the crops were full, and they said, you know what? It's time to go harvest it. While we've got it all bundled up, let's throw a party, or the biblical word, festival. Right? So they've got that going on, and, and, and things are, it's no different than, than this time of the year. He's saying, man, this is harvest time. This is a time of feasting, and anytime they had a time of feasting, don't forget this lesson You'd have to go back and study a lot more. But the, the synopsis of it is this. Anytime there's a time of feasting, all the extra enough to spare is to be given those that need it and could use it. So, so David's calling him out on exactly what he's supposed to be already doing. Then we finally get this guy's name and then we get word of his wife here in verse three. Abigail, a woman of good understanding, wisdom and beautiful in appearance. Now, those two phrases are only used about a couple other women. One is Rachel in Genesis and the other is Esther and Esther. So she is set apart automatically by the way she's described because she is one of only three women that get, I guess, bragging rights of Scripture calling her not only beautiful, but intelligent and smart as well. And, yeah, we, we said it a minute ago. I said it a minute ago. How in the world does these two hook up? Most likely prearranged marriage. But here's what I got asked because we're supposed to look at Scripture then for our lessons now, right? How many Abigails are there today that are married to a bunch of Nabals? And we scratch our head and wonder, what in the world is she doing with him? You, you know, you've heard it. Well, some people aren't a part of it. You know, and, and think about that. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta wonder sometimes, like, what makes that happen? And, and women nowadays, we don't have the excuse of, of the prearranged marriage. Well, most women don't, I guess. Some of that still goes on in the world today, but you, you, you gotta wonder why. Why would somebody so tender, so gentle, so sensible, so so highly minded, so noble, so beautiful, tie herself with somebody they have no true mindedness with? Now, if you're thinking that's you today, you got two things of advice, because Scripture says if you made that mistake, well, <laughs> you get to ride that boat out in hopes of <laughs> your wisdom and beauty somehow rubbing off on this guy. <laughs> OK, now. And I'm not talking about physical abuse or sexual infidelity or anything like that, okay? We're just talking about a good-looking smart lady being married to an idiot. All right? That, that, that's it. Take Scripture for exactly what, what it's saying, right? So if you got that going on, allow Scripture to do what it says. Hopefully, you're going to be able to rub off on him rather than him rub off on you. All right? Then we get to verses 4 through 9. 4 through 9, David comes on to see you for the first time in this chapter. And he says, you know what? It's time for my compensation. I've done a good job. We've done work. It's time we get paid. And when you first read this thing, it kind of sounds like he's got like a protection racket going. You know, what's David really doing? Him and his men are sitting out there guarding the sheep and making sure nobody comes and steals and all this. He's doing a legitimate job. Like this is a real, a real job that needs to be done. And David starts this whole thing very right. He approaches the situation in, in the right way. He says, we waited. We know that it says it was, uh, Nabal was shearing his sheep. All right. So he waited to the right time. Any of y'all's kids ever ask y'all things at the wrong time? Or is that just mine? Mine do all the time, all three of them. And, and then, and, and not not to make an excuse for myself because there's no excuse for the way I react. But then I react maybe the wrong way, and I try to tell them that's because you asked at the wrong time. You need to adjust that. Now they don't understand what that means or anything like that. And most time it's just an excuse I use for covering up my sin um, in, in doing so. But you know, think about this. David is smart, and when he approaches, he doesn't ask. Uh, uh, this guy to sacrifice his money when he doesn't have the extra money coming in, he waits until the right time. So, so keep that. that. I think that's a pretty good lesson. Sometimes we need to approach people at the right time, whether it be money that's owed to us or just time for a conversation or whatever else is going on. He approaches it the right way. That same verse says that David sent 10 young men to do this. 
Now, he didn't load up his 400-plus guys with swords on their back, sit up on, on dude's front porch and say, you give us what's due to us now. That would be kind of threatening intimidating, right? He sends 10 guys. They go over politely. It says that they, re- they requested with warmth and kindness. They said, peace be to you. So there's no intimidation. Everything is done the right way, the right, the right style. And then he even lists all the things that he wants payment for. He said, all your shepherds were with us. There, there's nothing missing. All your young men are there. He's basically giving him an invoice on the job that's done. So, you know, you do a good job. You keep an invoice of it. And, you know, you, you pass that along to the company. And sometimes you have to call them 78 times to get paid. But sometimes they send a check in, you know, when they're supposed to. That's what he's doing. He's got his itemized receipt for the services that were rendered. He wants to get paid. He comes to this. We come on feast day. So he's politely reminding this foolish guy, hey, this, this is a time when you're supposed to be able to give us the, the extra. Now, this isn't necessarily a quote unquote law. This would be kind of looked at like tipping. Nobody makes you tip your waitress. OK, but please understand that they don't make what minimum wage is. So they survive off of your tips. And I always point that out when I'm talking to a church, because I've heard multiple waitresses tell me Sunday's the worst day to work because Christians are the worst tippers. That is a horrible reputation for us to have. So please solve that. Um, sometimes that costs me more because I'm so worried about it. I'll throw extra down just to cover up and get, get our names back good, right? But so, so, so there's this thing going. There's this, he's reminding, hey, you're supposed to tip us for what we did. And he says it this way. Please give whatever. Notice this now. Please give whatever comes to your hand. He's, I don't know about you guys. When I do a job, they get a very distinct number at the bottom of the invoice. If it's a thousand, I want my thousand dollars. If it's two thousand, whatever it is, I want that number and I don't want a penny less. Now, this time of the year for me, I, I like it because I get to call all those people that have been waiting to the end of last week of December to pay it for the end of the year. So I get all those checks and these, these business owners will come by if they don't mail them in and we'll go over every dollar. Nope, 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 nope. It says 12, not 10. Uh, you know, I'm getting every dollar that's due to me, you know, so that I can pay my bills with them and take care of stuff. Right. So, so we've got that going on. Not David. David says, look, whatever comes to your hand, he's not giving him a specific amount. He says, look, whatever the extra is. Whatever you can do the way that scripture set up way back in Leviticus uh, and maybe even before that, actually, to, to get this this extra handed out and distributed to my men for what they did. That, that's all I'm asking for. So he's very, very reasonable in what he's doing. here. And no matter how reasonable you are when you approach somebody, that doesn't always mean they're going to be reasonable in their response. See, here's another lesson for us, because sometimes I think we're foolish enough to think just because we did something God's way that it's all going to work out the way we want it. That doesn't mean that. We live in a fallen world. Okay, when you do it God's way, that's great. And that represents God, right? And that's the right way to do it. But that doesn't mean the sinner that you're dealing with or the unbeliever that you're dealing with is going to do things God's way. Okay, they do things their way. Scripture tells us the way we do things seems foolish to them. The way they do things seems foolish to us. So it should not surprise us when unbelievers act like unbelievers. All right, and that's exactly what happens. Look at 10, 10 and 12, 10 through 12. His response to David's request here. And how does he start this thing? Look, look at 10. Who is David? Who, who is this David you're talking about? Who's the son of Jesse? Now, let's be honest, guys. He knows who David is. David has got an awesome reputation going around right now, right? I mean, he knows who David is. What he's doing is trying to insult David. He's saying, who, who's this David? Who, who's this guy that thinks he can come up into my house and, and ask for me to pay him what's due? Really, for, for our present day language, you, you can write in on your Bible right there. Who does he think he is? And that, that's what he's doing. He's trying to insult him and trying to go. And then he stabs it even further. So we make sure that we know that's fully what he's doing. Look at this next thing. He says, many servants nowadays have broke away from each of their masters. So he's got David now insulted and to be in this rebellious servant and nothing more. And, and, and he, as he insults him and continues to insult him, then he gets to this next little section in 11 and 12 here and he starts listing. All this stuff. Look at look at 11. Look at his attitude as he says this thing. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I butchered for my shears and give it to these men whom I don't even know where they're from? Now, this sounds harsh, doesn't it? How many of us have the same attitude about our stuff? That it's mine. That it's mine. That it's mine. I never actually got to see this lived out in present day until I started at the tire shop years ago. And I, I, I would watch Mr. Bill 
go above and beyond what we, we should be doing by business and worldly standards. I mean, Tyre had a problem that the person had, we'd still pay for it. Uh, you know, the issue here, issue there, we'd still reimburse. And I, I, I remember finally when I, when I finally get in, into those business colleges and, class, and, and college and thinking I was smart and knew what was going on, I said, hey, we need to talk. You're doing this wrong. Business says that we're not responsible for that. And he would quickly tell me, this isn't ours. This is God's. I'm telling you, that's probably one of the most significant, awesome things I remember ever being told. And he lived that now. He still lives it to this day on that kind of attitude. Everything that we have there, he will tell, he's quick to tell everybody, this is not ours. This is the Lord's. But how many of us are just like this foolish guy in scripture and we've got this attitude of mine, mine, mine. You know what we like that scene in the cartoon? Mine, 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 mine. Because that's us. That's us. We, we, we are the mine, 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 mine kind of people. We want everything that is ours and we want to control it the way we want to control it and everything else. The biblical view on generosity says this. Not everything I have belongs to me. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. And therefore, I have to handle. I'm just a steward and I need to handle it his way. How different would the world and the things be if we handled it that way? How different would it be? Would we need all these government funding things that you and I complain about all the time? That's what I laugh. Christians are some of the quickest people to complain about. And I'm with you. I complain all the time. OK, if you don't have a 1099, I think you ought to have a 1099. So you can write that check yourself back to Uncle Sam and you can see it rather than it just being hidden and taken out of your checks. OK, I mean that. So, so I say it all the time when I write that check every quarter. They're like, Man, I hate giving these guys this. But then you look at what they do. And I know some of you think they don't do anything with it. And I agree sometimes with you. Right. But but then you look at what they're supposed to be doing. Let's call it that way. And I laugh because you and I are supposed to already be doing that stuff. And like, man, maybe if the church and God's people were handling it God's way and being good stewards of God's stuff, the government wouldn't have to stick their nose in so many things. They wouldn't have to take so much taxes out and use it in the wrong way. Right. Think about that. Look at 13. David now changes. Look at 13. 13 totally changes what we know about David. It changes where things are going. It changes what happens. And he says this. He said this to men. To this man, all of you put on your swords. So David and all of his men put on their swords. About 400 men followed David and 200 stayed with the supplies. Notice everybody put on a sword, okay? This is not David's going over there to, to give the, hey, you owe us money. It's time you pay up or I'm going to release. David is ready for war. He's got 400 guys going to massacre. He even says, may, may I not let any man in their nation even survive. What takes place? He's going to wipe out everybody. He's so ready for war. He leaves 200 men back at guarded, ready with their swords. Remember, everybody's got on the sword. 200 men back at camp guarding their stuff. He's ready for war. Rage has taken over. And if you get no other lesson from these three characters today, write this down. Foolishness is when we let our emotions or our feelings replace the facts. Get that foolishness and when we let our feelings, we'll keep it all F's. That's what most pastors do, right? Foolishness is when we let our feelings replace the facts. So you're saying, well, what's the fact? Well, we've got God's promises are the facts. God's word is the fact. And our foolishness is when our feelings replace those things. David's got tons of God's promises, yet what's he ready to do the minute a guy's not willing to pay while he's in this low emotional state? Now, I really feel bad for Nabal. Because Nabal's probably used to pushing over anybody he wants to push over since he's successful and he's financially stable and he's got all this stuff. And he's probably thinking that, yes, he knows who David is, but he's probably thinking, I'll just throw this out there and David won't do nothing. He ain't did nothing to Saul. He ain't going to do nothing to me. What Nabal has forgotten is he's messing with the baddest soldier in Saul's army right now. And he just happens to be at a really low emotional state. And you know, if you ask at the wrong time, that wrong trigger will get the wrong response. And that's where David's at. So he loads up his men and he gets ready. Basically, you say, if, if we're watching Old Western, he'd look back at his men and say, now no, boys, we're going to take care of business. Right? Locked and loaded, ready to go. Not as high moment because we know as believers, God has called us to bear insults with love and kindness. God has called us, as different as it sounds, everything, man, that, that just sounds crazy. Yes, it does. But when we do things God's way, it is kind of crazy. You know, he even tells his, his people in Matthew chapter five, when he's walking around, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other one also. You know, think about how crazy, you know, these ideas and these concepts are. We're talking God's way. David doesn't show this kind of kindness and long suffering. 
He doesn't show him the same thing that he shows Saul. And, and, and here's what, re- what really hit me. And I don't know if you guys relate with this. Maybe God was just getting me on this section. It's harder to do it to somebody that you perceive as equal or lower than you. Now you think he looked at Saul and he even said it in his, in his writings from last week. He looked at Saul and he said, that's God's anointed man. He put him on a pedestal. The position, not the man. Okay. A true test of our character, I believe, is not how we handle those that we should be given respect that are higher than us. A true test of our character, I think, is how we handle those that are equal to us or maybe even below us. Now, I don't know if I'm explaining that right, and I hope you guys are, are, are getting the picture. Because I think for me, at least, again, maybe not for you, maybe this whole section was just for me. For me, at least, it's a lot harder to handle those that are equal or under me the right way than it is to handle those that are above me the right way. And maybe that for David was why he slipped and fell in this emotional state. He looked at this guy and he said, that guy at most is my equal. In the future, I'm going to be king. So really, he's under me. I will not be talked to that way and insulted by somebody who is equal or lower than me. Is that not sometimes how we let our feelings make us foolish and replace the facts? Right. Look at 400 men to go wipe him out. And here's what happens. Abigail intercedes between David and this thing, thankfully, verses 14 through 17. But here's what I want you to write down in this this little section, because I really do think this is a lot of listening and non-listening could have solved a lot of this stuff. Because Nabal had a listening problem. He didn't listen at all. And I think it even goes further back. At the very beginning, we found out something about this guy. He was Caleb's grandson, basically. I don't know if you guys caught that with where he's from and and, and what's going on and, and all this stuff. Don't you think Caleb passed on all his stories to his family? You guys remember Caleb, right? Caleb's the guy who snuck in with the the other spies to check out the land. He comes back and 10 spies are saying the giants are so big. But Caleb and Joshua over there saying, but the grapes, oh, my God, the grapes are so. So he probably didn't say, oh, my God, that was wrong. Right. Oh, my Yahweh, the grapes are so big. (laughs) Right. The grapes are so big, man. He let the size of the great be much bigger than the size of the giant. And I promise you, I promise you, he passed those stories along. I know that because while he's camping, I can tell you, my dad has some of the most made up stories I've ever heard in my life. He calls them true stories. He calls them real life events. I think they're blown up fish stories, but he passes those things along to to Paxton and Reese and Haley and Hudson like no other. Okay, so I know if we still do that today. Caleb would have did that. I also know that Nabal did not listen to Grandpa Caleb because he doesn't have this same walk and trust in God. What was it to get rid of his stuff? Nothing. He's rich. He's got everything. He didn't even have to worry, yet he was so greedy, worried about self that he wouldn't release. He didn't listen to his friends. I called them friends. I guess scripture calls them servants. He didn't listen to his servants. What did his servants say? Did you catch that? Or what they're about to say to to Abigail? David's going to come back and beat us up. Because we didn't pay our invoice. <laughs> All right. They, they know what's about to happen. They know what's expected. He didn't listen to his wife. Right. He didn't listen to her at all. He didn't listen to his conscience. Think about this. Now, I think it's a little significant that, that, that he pauses for a minute and reflects about all the stuff he has. Would that not be God maybe slapping him in the back of the head saying, look at what all you have. Why are you so greedy with it? But he didn't listen to his conscience. And, and of course, he didn't listen to God. So he's got a listening problem. Then the scene kind of changes a little bit. And Abigail begins to prepare this gift for David, 18 through 20. Look, look at the wording in verse 18. I think it's vital. It says that Abigail made haste. It, it told us at the beginning that this was a smart woman, right? She had good understanding is what verse 3 says. She's got good understanding. She knew that time was of the essence and something had to be done quickly. Guys, if you know a fight, a war, a battle is about to break out, whether it be in your house or outside your house, you got to act quickly sometimes. You don't get to sit down and say, well, let's just see what plays out. You sit down and see what plays out and it's going to get worse. Okay? you got to act hastily. Abigail acted hastily, it says. It says that she prepared this. 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, uh, five sheep already dressed, and 100 clusters of raisins. She's doing what her husband should have done and didn't do. Thank God for women that pick up when men don't do what they're supposed to do. We quick to try to be against it, but let's just be honest. If women didn't pick up where men didn't pick up, we would be in a heap of trouble nowadays and then days. Okay, so thank God for that. 
The fact that she's able to gather all this stuff so quickly. She does it all instantly. Tells us just how wealthy this family is, which I guess now really makes Nabelle's uh, ungenerous attitude and reply to David even worse. I mean, she didn't have to take, she didn't have to go around asking. She gathered all this stuff instantly and is gone on this trip. But this anger, this anger that, that, that's brewing, which, which we already hit it at, but I, I jumped ahead of the verses. Verses 21 and 22. David uses the word, he has repaid me evil for good. Is David telling the truth? Yeah, man, his facts are right, but his heart's not right. Okay? Just because sometimes we get the facts right in an argument, doesn't always mean our heart's right in the argument. All right, we, we got to keep that. We're called to a higher standard, guys. If I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning, he, he actually makes a deal or, or a vow. I hope that God will curse me if I leave even one male left. He plans to annihilate his anger. He's turned into a Saul at this moment. I mean, his anger is brewed, man. He is hot. And that's exactly one what, what Nabel expected. He expected that insult would get him fired up and ready. And it's what the people expected back in verse 17. Remember what they, they ran to Abigail and they told her, David's going to come wipe the floor with us. It's going to look like LSU and Oklahoma. Like it is going to be bad. It is going to be real, real bad. Now, now understand this, guys, and write this one down too, please, if you're a note taker. God called David to go further than what the world expected. Because that's a big lesson for you and I. The world expected David to respond this way. Even the guy guilty expected David to respond this way. But God in his word and his spirit in us has called us to act and go further than what the world expects. Okay? Just because it's what's expected, just because we get the facts right, it doesn't mean it's the right way to do it and God's way to do it. All right? And thankfully we get to 23 through 31 here in Abigail's appeal to David. And I love the way she does this, man. I love the way. I want you to picture this. Because I, I can't imagine this scene any other way. You've got 400 guys. Did you, is anybody, does anybody watch college football? I know some of you don't watch it during the year. Maybe you watch the bowl games. You watch the national championship or you watch Super Bowl. You, you ever see those guys right before the game? They're in their little circle. They look like 12 year olds again. I, I'm, I'm with them. I'm with them. I, I love it. You know, I get in there with my little guys and we, we jump and fire it up and headbutt and, and go crazy. And it, it's just an exciting testosterone driven, you know, crazy moment going on. These guys are doing it with swords. They've got their swords on. They're jumping. They're going crazy. They're high-fiving. We're going to kick Heine. They're probably saying it other ways. And, and they've got all this, this excitement going on. And they're fired up. And David's split up. You know, you 200 staying here. You 400 coming with me. And they're on their horses. And they're ready. And, and here comes this gorgeous lady riding up into their camp. you got a picture because that's what Scripture says happened. Can you imagine... The courage and the boldness this lady's got to have. So either two things stopped them dead in their tracks. She really was that hot. <laughs> I, yeah, just don't like it is. Sometimes a hot woman will stop you in your tracks, right? Or they were scratching their head and wonder, what in the world is this chick doing rolling up in our camp while we're about to go wipe out everybody back at her house? And you got to picture this because she's taking a huge risks. To save people. To save her jerk for a husband. See, some of us have, let the dude fall, let him go, he's a loser already. Scripture even calls him stupid, right? Not this lady, this lady says, you know, he's an idiot. She even says it when she gets to David. You know, I, I didn't want to mention that because sometimes that's a little scary. She, call, she calls it what it is. She goes, look, I know he's an idiot. I know he's an idiot. Well, please don't kill us all. <laughs> right? She calls it like it is. So here's why she gets to David. And if you guys are ever wanting to get to somebody who you know their attitude is already brewing, who's already let their feelings make them act foolish, if you want to get to a person like this, follow Abigail's lead. Here's what she does. Number one, she goes with humility. Now, keep in mind at this point, guys, this is a bunch of soldiers, misfits, really, if we go back to a couple chapters ago and the way it describes them. And she is basically the princess of her town. Right. She's the richest. She got everything. She she's up here. These guys are down here, but she doesn't act like she's up here. Sometimes you and I can't get through to somebody because we act like we up here. Get off your high horse. Come on down to where they at or maybe even a little lower. And you'd be surprised how people may listen and respond to you. OK. And there's where she is. She comes with humility. It says this. 
Uh, as the beautiful, rich, and privileged, or I'm sorry, that's my news. <laughs> beautiful, rich, and privileged often do come the wrong way, right? She, she comes and she, she bows to him is what scripture says. She comes in bowing down to these guys. This is crazy. She immediately went. So don't let an attitude brew any longer. You can go back to that lesson earlier where it said that she came hastily in verse 18. She knew this is an urgent situation, so she acts that way. What does scripture call us? Peacemakers or peacekeepers? Huh? Peacemakers. You know, a peacekeeper gets you in trouble. Because a peacekeeper, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute, a peacekeeper have that moment, I'm just not going to say nothing because if I say something, it's going to get nasty. Yeah, I know how y'all women and y'all's attitudes be going, right? If I open up, oh, it's going to be real bad, so I'm just going to be quiet and not do it, right? That, that ain't the right way to do it. Scripture calls you a peacemaker. Now, peacemaker means sometimes you got to take a risky situation, right? Peacemakers means you got to jump on it as quick as you can. Peacemaker means you got to come the right way. Notice her, her first words to David. She takes the blame for this. On me, my Lord, let on me this iniquity be. Now, is she really guilty for anything? Absolutely not. But I think she's smart enough because it says that she's wise to know that David is not going to punish her the way he plans to punish every man back at the hometown. Right? No gentleman would. Plus, she's hot. You can't beat up a hot chick, right? So she, she says, she's like, I know you're not going to punish me, so, so put this on me. Right? She even asked permission to speak. Notice this now. Please let your maidservant speak to your ears. Sometimes we want to come in yelling at people rather than just saying, hey, can I talk to you? You'd be surprised what a hey, can I talk to you would resolve rather than a nye, 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 nye. Right. Y'all listen. I'm telling you now, seriously. Then, then, then this smooth suggestion, she comes out with this positive outcome. Look at what it says. Verse 26. The Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. She's reminding him of what God's already done. She's stating it in a way that's almost now going to guide David toward a, a new outcome for this situation. God's been protecting you from bloodshed being on your hand the, the entire time. Why? Why not let it be the same way now? And she even brings him a present. Right. She says, now with this present, I come in. I love how she says this. This present is for you and your men. Now, you might. I didn't think much of it when I first read that. But I love that she says it that way, because if she had just bought a present for David, what would she be trying to do? Butter him up and bribe him. And it would ruin David's character. He would probably even see it that way and have that rage build up even more. He's already mad. Who do you think I am? Like, you can buy me off? Oh, no, well, it ain't going to happen that way, right? She says, this is for you and your men. This, this is what you guys are owed. So she comes in and makes us this gift for everybody. And immediately after she hands it out, she says straightforward, please forgive the trespasses of your maidservant. Some of us, sometimes the way we approach people, we don't ask for forgiveness because we didn't do nothing wrong, right? She ain't done nothing wrong either. But you notice how she approaches the situation, how it breaks David's heart? That heart of stone that he had for that brief moment? Well, you're going to see it if you don't remember from Mitch reading, right? She, she, she instantly, please forgive me. Those are some of the hardest words sometimes for us to swallow when we're in a heated moment, right? We don't like saying that because that means we might have did something wrong. Own your part of it. Even if you only had a little part, own it. Because if you're not willing to own your part, what makes you think they'd be willing to own their bigger part? Right. If you can't own the little bit, what makes you think they can own the, the big bit in this thing? Right. Look at what goes on even further here. And this is huge. This is huge. Despite David's present anger and agitation. He looks at Abigail and she speaks of his, his great character at this moment. Now, how, if we were approaching a sinner. And this, how, how would we be approaching? it? Well, let me tell you how dirty he is right now. Let, let me tell you how much are you trampling on the blood of Jesus right now and and doing this and doing that. Not the way she approached it at all. She said, my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. Really, at this moment, the exact opposite is taking place. But she chooses to acknowledge who David really is. Not who he is in the moment of emotion. Not who he is in the moment of foolishness. But who he really is. She, she calls him that. And then she reminds him of God's promises for his life. The Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house. Guys, sometimes believers just need to be reminded of the promises of God. Sometimes we get in dark moments and we, and we let the world get us and, and, and situations, you know, ruin us or whatever. We let the feelings make us foolish. 
And we just need to be reminded of God's great promises. And stop having that spiritual attitude of, oh, they ought to read their word and know it. I read the word a lot and I still forget it sometimes, okay? Sometimes emotions get me. I'm falling, I'm, I'm a human, and I make mistakes. But I'm so grateful when I've got people who remind me, hey, man, you remember what Scripture says about the situation? You, you, you remember how, how the Lord directs everything, the good and the bad for, for our lives? She guided David to look beyond his aggravation and his anger to the bigger promises of God. He looks beyond who he's mad at, Nabal, and he looks to his promises, bigger promises of what God has already promised him to get through with this thing. Now, David, David would do something he would regret if he acted this way, and that's what she tells him. She goes, look, you're going to regret this later. I, I can honestly say, and I, I imagine most of you are with me, okay? I can honestly say I regret almost every time I explode. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't ever explode. I'm too high and mighty for that. Well, good for you. I explode, and I explode often. Luckily, most of you have never seen it, <laughs> okay? But, but I regret it every time. I can't stay. You know, that heat of the moment, you make it, it makes you think mentally, oh, if I respond, this way, it'll make them feel bad. And if they feel bad, I'll feel better. No, you feel worse. Every time. Whether it's your wife, your kid, your grandma. I never did it to my grandma, so that's good. Gigi, we on good terms, all right? You think about that. Think about that every time. Look at verse 29. Word she uses right here. I love it. I love it. This, this is how wise this woman is, man. This is how smart. And I think I really believe God's spirit has got to be guided in the word this way. When someone pursues you and you attempt to take your life, my Lord's life will be tucked, tucked safely into place where Yahweh, your God, protects the living. However, he will fling away your enemies like stones from a sling. Y'all know why I'm laughing and think that's good wording, right? What did David, what's David most famous for? Slinging a rock out of a sling, right? Do you not think the minute she said those words that way? Oh, man. I now remember what God did and how I'm supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? It's that, it's that moment. I really believe that. Plus, she's kind of picking on him because she, she's saying, you've got your 400 soldiers all piled up ready for war. All God needs to do is sling a little rock and he can do what you're trying to accomplish with all those men. You ever notice we, we spend a lot of time, energy, material and stuff to get something done that God could get done like that if we would just let him. Hmm, maybe that's a big lesson for us today, right? Abigail focused David's attention back on the Lord through this thing right here. And instead of wanting to go beat down his enemy, she guides him in the right direction, right? She, she emphasized with, with his glorious calling that's on his life and she gets this going. And here's what I want to point out because here I think is, is a little bit of marital advice for, for, for the ladies and the men in the room. Because here's what I love. She's sweetly speaking submission is what I call it. She's sweetly speaking submission because Christian wives typically have two views when they're reading scripture. They've got one view that says, I know my husband's wrong, but I'm not going to be the one to tell him. The Bible tells me to be submissive, to be quiet. That's what I'm going to do. And they say nothing. Guess what happens if you say nothing? He gets dumber and nothing happens. Okay? That's how it works. Now, you got the other view, too. So some of you women right now, y'all perked up. I seen you. A couple of you were smiling. You're like, yeah. What's the next view? The next view is y'all idiots to tell us how dumb we really are. Because I'm be honest with you, and I say that we're both of us. We're all idiots, right? Because if you're an idiot telling an idiot how much of an idiot he is, do you think I'm going to perceive that well? Do you think I'm going, oh, you broke my heart. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Let's make this thing right. Or might it be that I look at you and say, oh, now it's on. You put the gloves on. I'm putting the gloves on. Boom. I'm going to act foolish from my feelings. Correct. How about what this lady does? Both of those are wrong, by the way. Just staying totally quiet. So I'm not, but both groups are wrong. Just staying totally quiet is equally as wrong as telling the guy he's an idiot that way. Look, look at what Abigail does. She silently yet politely or sweetly, I guess is how it sweetly speaks submission to this guy. She, she, she's buttering him up the right way. She's saying the truth and not backing down from it, right? Not, not the fact of, oh, well, God gave him to me. I get to correct you. No. Right. You're just a tool. Right. Think about that. Abigail gives the right example. Submission that speaks, but speaks sweetly instead of sharply. I would never tell a woman you shouldn't try to correct your husband because he need a lot of correcting. But please correct us the right way so that we are easier to handle it the right way. And maybe that's our fault. Maybe that's somebody else's fault. I don't know. But if we both go against each other the wrong way, we're going to have more trouble 
rather than more solution. All right. I think there's ways we can solve each other's problem that way. Right. David's submission to the Lord is, is awesome here. He trusts that God's going to take care of business now. He listens to Abigail, which I love because her own husband wouldn't listen to him. Right. And, and his response, look at 32 through 35. And I had to write this down for me, so maybe somebody else needs it. Hurt feelings never justify disobedience. Hurt feelings never justify disobedience. They don't. They don't. When others sin against us, we may feel justified in, in acting that way. No. Not according to Scripture, right? Verse 33. You have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. David is thanking God because Abigail successfully reminded him of his destiny. He saw it the right way. Sometimes you and I got a solution right in front of us and we can't grab it because we don't see it the right way. He sees this woman coming to him the right way and he's so grateful to God about it. You know, it's one thing to be forgiven for sin. It's another thing when somebody guides us to stop us from sinning, isn't it? Do do you notice that? He's so grateful. He's so grateful that she stopped him from from going any further than, than than he really wanted to go. Plus, if David had followed through with this, oh, you got a blank notes. I guess that'd make the sermon faster, right? If David would have followed through with this, now Saul would have finally had a real charge against him too. So keep that in mind. And she, she knows this. Maybe the people wouldn't have trusted him. Oh, David got mad at so-and-so, he just killed him. So he would have lost the trust of his men. I mean, think about all this stuff that, that she's protecting him from, right? All, all, the, all that she really cares about. So God used David conscious to keep him from killing Saul, and he uses Abigail's appeal to keep him from killing Nabal. I point that out because sometimes I think we forget that God can use people to get his point accomplished with us. Okay? It's not always going to be God just speaking straight to you. Sometimes God's going to have to pick up a megaphone to hit you over the head with and then speak to you uh, through that, right? Wise David listened to the words of this woman. She kept him from sinning in return. He gets excited about what's going on. And we get to this end here, right? 36 through 38. We get, we get back. So I told you there's a couple scene changes. We get back to Nabal the fool. What's he doing? Acting fool. He's acting fool. He's acting fool because he's at his house drinking and he's so, he's partying so hard he's drunk and has no clue what's going on. Now it took me a minute to catch this, but you know, everything in scripture is for something to us today, right? I don't know if you guys believe that, but I'm telling you that that's 100% true. And I'm reading this and like, this guy has no worries. In the world right now, he is bathing in his sin. Like David is suited up with 400 plus men ready to come in and wipe him out. And he has no idea how serious the danger is. That's right. And I'm thinking all this through. And then I connect all the dots. I don't know if you guys get like that. You, You let God start speaking and then the dots come. How many of us are foolish enough to bathe in our sin and totally forget about the danger that's outside of not walking the way God's called us to walk? Right. There's where he's at. Luckily, his wife is wise enough to say, you're drunk. You're not even worth talking to. So she waits till the next morning, right? She, she, she waits till the next morning to come up and talk to him. She tells him what's going on. And what does scripture say? I think it's verse 37. Is that okay? Yeah. In the morning when the ball sobered up, his wife told him about these events. Then he had a seizure. So, uh, I think Mitch's translation has it more word for word like mine. It says that he froze or fell like a rock or, or, or became still. Became like a stone. That's the word. Became like a stone. Uh, that, that translation sums it up so you understand it. Basically, he did have a seizure or something related to that, right? And he becomes paralyzed. Well, I wouldn't say a heart attack. I'm thinking he had a stroke, actually. If we're talking, I don't know that much about medical. But because he had that paralyzation thing happening afterwards, he lived for a few days. But you see his heart? His heart is, is so hard. Now God gives him exactly what was due to him, a hard heart. And he sat there for, what was it, 10 days, I think? Yeah, 10 days of sitting that way, and then finally, he dies. What a way to go out, right? The guy who had it all, the guy who was who was living it up. And I had to laugh because while she saved David from his mistake, and she saved, she even really saved her husband and all the men back from the town from David, she couldn't save her husband from the Lord. Because he's who we answer to at a higher calling, right? She couldn't save Nabal from God's judgment. And when we act foolish and we let our feelings supersede facts, and the facts are God's word, God's promises, these are the dangers we fall into. So, so here's what I want you to think this morning. We, you know, we go through this thing, and, and this is only the second chapter where David spares a man's life. He's going to do it one more time. All right? 
but but here's where you are. you're one of three people in this story. You're either in the ball, which if you go back to the very beginning, I think for most of the time this way, you've built your life on things that don't last. Right? You 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 you've, you've you've predetermined your success or failure based off worldly things rather than God's things. Okay? Or you're a David, and you need to stop and you need to listen because you've now let your feelings begin to make you act foolish. And you need to be reminded of the promises that are on you. You need to be reminded of, of that walk and that commitment that you made. Or maybe I think a lot of us sometimes may even be the Abigail in the story. And, and here's what I mean by being the Abigail, guys. God put a calling on her life to go resolve a situation that I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but he said he was going to wipe out every male. I don't think she had anything to worry about for herself. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe she's even pulling a Kathy over there and excited that her husband could be getting taken out. Don't eat the pancakes, Danny. Right? Maybe that's where she's at. But she still says, you know what? I made a commitment. And I'm, I'm wise. And I have the ability possibly to bring light to a situation. And I'm going to do so. Maybe God's given you some wisdom to bring light to somebody else's situation the right way. Approaching them at the right time and approaching them with the right attitude, you know, catering to exactly what they need to hear the way they need to hear it so that there can be resolution brought to the problem. I don't know which we are. Maybe we're all three. That's kind of where I was this week, to be honest with you. I, I can tag team a little bit off each of them, right? Let's let God use this story, these actual events that took place, to mold us and shape us a little better. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we're so grateful for what you do in our lives. And God, even when we don't like that chiseling process that you you put us through, Lord God, I'm thankful for it. God, I'm thankful for those things that, that you want to remove off of me, Lord God, so that I can represent you better and look more like you. God, help us, God, enlighten us, open our eyes and our hearts, Lord God, to see where we need to change, God, to see where, where we need to let the facts replace the feelings. God, remind us of your word and your promises. God, send us those, Lord God, that that we will listen to. And God, if we're one of the ones you're sending, then God, make us bold enough and courageous enough, Lord God, not to worry about what battle may seem to be in front of us, Lord, but to make us wise and courageous enough to take the risk to solve problems for others. Lord God, let us be your servants. In your great name we pray. Amen.